Hello and a very warm welcome to the Women in Tech SEO podcast, where your hosts are myself, Sarah McDowell, podcaster and SEO content executive at Holland and Barrett, and the absolutely wonderful Areej Abu Ali, who is an SEO consultant and founder of Women in Tech SEO. Women in Tech SEO is your weekly podcast for all things SEO related, guest starring brilliant women in the industry. Hello, Areej. How are we doing? Yeah, good, thanks. Super excited to be here today. Yes, it's the first first one. How are you feeling about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm really excited. I'm in great company. I've got you. I've got Jamie. So looking forward. To- ah, there you go. You've done like a subtle little hint there about uh, introducing our first guest on the show. Um, so yes, we have with us for our very first Women in Tech SEO podcast, Jamie Indigo, who is a technical SEO best known for taming unruly JavaScript frameworks like Angular and React. She helps websites share information with humans by improving how search engines crawl, render, and index. A very warm welcome to the show, Jamie. Thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you, Anna Rij, two of my favorite humans, part of my favorite community. It's so good to have you, Jamie, and I'm sure that a lot of people who are listening already know a lot about you and a lot about how awesome you are, but we would love to hear a little bit about you from you. Ooh, me from me. Well, that's exciting. Uh, well, I'm not a robot, but I speak bot, and that's pretty important um, because my focus is, uh, as an SEO, so niche that I don't understand how rankings work, and I'm too afraid to ask. But really, it's focusing on the rendering process, everything from how Googlebot fetches uh, content to you know response codes we're giving, how to look at the log files and see where those resource requests are going, uh, and when it goes into the web rendering engine, how those are executed, where the content's available at, do we have a whole sneaky set of URIs that no one expected to exist that cannibalize our world? You'd be surprised. A lot of cannibals hiding out there. Wonderful, wonderful. I uh, Something that we used to do with SEO, SAS, was with each of our guests, we do like a quick fire round of silly questions. How are you feeling about that? Oh, I love silly questions. Yay. Okay. So there's six in total. And I literally just want you to like clear your mind and just answer with the first answer that comes to your head. Mm, all right, let's do this. Question number one, can you share food? Yes. Name something that's long. A dachshund. <laughs> name, something that's, name something that's spiky. Porcupine. They are very spiky. Are you a tidy person? Absolutely not. Ah, they say the best creative people are untidy. I swear I've read that somewhere. Um, when colouring in, do you stay within the lines? Hmm. No, I'm a big fan of colouring book corruptions, and that inherently involves some new lines. <laughs> and final question is, it's a hot day. What drink are you craving? Oh, water. Just Water? Some, some lovely water, yeah. If it's, it's very hot, I want to stay hydrated. 
Not, you don't want anything in your water, like a bit of lime or sparkling water? Or you oh, we can zhuzh it up. Absolutely. If, you, if you're offering me sparkling water, I will take it. Some cucumber water. I'm in. Yes. Whatever you want, Jamie, I can make sure that happens. There we go. Right. Areej, there. what do you think to the uh, quick fire answers? <laughs> I'm, yeah, I, I don't know why I had a feeling you were a tidy person. And you started off by saying absolutely not. <laughs> and I was like, oh, absolutely, yes. I was like, mm -mm. Oh. I think a, a lot of our answers are very different. I, I never share food. I am a very tidy person and I always color within the lines. So, I, I eat like a four-year-old though. So you've got to remember, I'm like, do you want a string cheese? Would you like some of my apple? I'm there. But I'm also like a small child. Like, hey, I've got trail mix. <laughs> so, Jamie, I reckon we should move into the meaty bit of this podcast and discuss what we invited you on today to discuss. Um, so that is around ethics and disinformation when it comes to SEO and the, the internet, basically. So to kick things off, um, let's start around the basics. So what, what is ethical SEO and why is it important? It's a brilliant question. It's a great place to start. I want to start by looking at the traditional definition of ethical SEO. And that's truly been, is it white hat? Does it abide by the guidelines the search engine has provided? And there's some interesting nuances if we take a step back and we break that down. So ethics become relative to each search engine. They are only about the techniques and strategies used. The companies that build search engines get to define ethics. This is problematic when we have lives that are in digital. Our lives are digital. We take care of everyday tasks and reliant on our phones to you know, get a vaccination for COVID-19. We rely on our digital world. So if now this power is relinquished to companies defining their own relativistic morals, well, where does that leave humans? And I I spent time studying philosophy uh, in college and decided to take a step back and go, well, what if we remove ourselves from the idea of these are, that code isn't inherently moral, bots aren't inherently moral. How would we create a human-centric definition of ethics and search? And the simplest way to do it was really borrow from Immanuel Kant who just boiled it down to two questions. Can I rationally will that everyone act as I propose to act? And do my actions respect the goals of humans rather than merely being to get those humans to serve my purpose? And I find that sometimes odd with marketing. I found a lot of uh, disinterest <laughs> when I pitched this topic to conferences for a while. I'm not going to pretend that I have clear answers in what ethical SEO is, but I think it's very important uh, given how ubiquitous we are in everyone's lives that think, we start asking these questions. I think you made a really good point um, that that because because the search and like search engines are they have to sort of come up decide themselves what is ethical, isn't it? And I suppose that's a quite hard task um, because ethics is a very broad topic isn't it and what is ethical and it go like when you talked about sort of okay so the traditional um sort of 
description of ethical SEO is white hat SEO. And that more is in line with their, like Google's guidelines. But I'm supposing ethics and SEO and the internet is much bigger and it's a much, it's a bigger thing to tackle, I suppose, isn't it? Absolutely. It's focused on the human impact to it. Um, I'm an American. I witnessed the actions on January 6th. I saw humans acting in what they thought was an altruistic, a, a very passionate way for the betterment of all, all people. And I inherently was angry. I wanted them to be punished. I wanted these, um, these, these folks to be held accountable for their actions and then had to do some introspection and realize that these were well-intended humans who'd been weaponized by disinformation, who were impassioned and emboldened to take action based on uh, bad data that was completely within guidelines. You can you can create a page, JoeBiden.info. Uh, I believe if you if you search for that right now, you can still find that on page one. If you search for Joe Biden, that particular page was created by a member of Trump's campaign, Brad Purcell, he ran the Death Star Initiative and considers himself very skilled in SEO. But the goal of that was not to provide real humans information about a presidential candidate. It was to uh, lead them astray, to give them a false representation, to skew their views. I think it's interesting you bring this up because actually other Putting search engines aside, I know that a lot of CMSs um, and web hosting platforms have also been facing these issues where, um, you know, specific parties or groups would use these CMSs or platforms to build their websites on it. And there's a lot of ethical questioning around that as well of what should be allowed and what should not be allowed there. Absolutely. And for the longest time, there was a difference between the publisher and the platform. Yeah. And now in the modern age, companies like Facebook have argued that, well, we're a platform, not a publisher. But at what point should these platforms be held accountable for the information that they publish? Yeah. Facebook is a great example. Uh, they launched in Myanmar and they launched to such an immense degree that, you know, as we say, let me Google that. And they say, let me Facebook it. The problem here was that Facebook had no content moderators, or sorry, very few content moderators who spoke the local language. Um, there, are, there are thousands of users on this platform and actually came free with the cell phone plan. Uh, so there was no way to keep in check the radicalization that would occur in these echo chambers because that algorithm is based on getting you to interact and high intensity emotional posts get you to interact. And what we actually saw was Facebook helped to create a, a genocide in Myanmar. People had to flee their homes. And the questions that is brought up have still not been answered. I'm not saying I have good answers for them, but these search engines, these platforms, they're imprints of power. They inherit the biases and blind spots of their creators, even the internet in general. 54% uh, of the internet in 2019 was in English, despite English only being about 25% of users. And do you feel this is something that the industry, there, is there much visibility about it? I personally haven't heard a lot of people speak up about it. Do you think there's, there's enough talk, there's enough visibility on this topic within our industry at the moment? Uh, this is why I think sometimes marketing and ethics are at odds. You know, in marketing, you've got a goal, you're gonna launch a, a new site and a new language to get more users, but that content's not properly translated. Um, it, and it goes even further, you know, if 
you're asking a user to consent to cookies, can they consent if that's not a language they speak? And there are medical research going on where users are agreeing through the websites to these testings and the content isn't translated to them. I mean, when it comes to sort of um, cookies and I mean, I don't know what you guys are like, but um, I hardly ever read terms and conditions about anything. Um, and yeah, and I suppose that's just a, another issue in itself because um, like who who has the time to sort of sit and read through, okay, by me sort of um, consenting to this cookie or me consenting to my information, what does that actually mean for me? Um, and I don't know if this is a bit like, off topic but it's just coming to my head now um but yeah like I bet you there's there's lots of things that we're agreeing to that we don't really know um and especially when it comes to our data as well like there's a lot of data of ourselves that's being shared on the internet and between companies and stuff but like we don't, there's, we don't really know what the impact of that is and I suppose that's the issue as well isn't it I mean, the size of Facebook's tracking pixel should be enough for you not to trust them. Let's be honest. But yeah, the data mining is real. Uh, there was a bit of outrage. Everyone was shocked and amazed that Cambridge Analytica was a thing and they were able to identify voters who were uh, hardcore in one base or another, but then they were able to actually narrow out the ones who could be swung or who could be persuaded not to vote. And by segmenting those with such accuracy, they were really able to manipulate groups and uh, I spoke with uh, an individual who worked in a political campaign and they had shared with me that it wasn't necessarily, uh, the disinformation they saw happening was people trying to say the wrong date was going on. If we look at uh, Google Europe, they released a paper and they talked what they were doing to keep election security safe. And they talked about uh, polling places being changed, like the locations and information on those. That, that paper was, it changed. And unfortunately I didn't grab a snapshot as it was, but it was really interesting. Uh, this individual who worked in the campaign said that one of the biggest things they saw was you know, disinformation regarding when and where to vote, how to vote. Yep. And even if we go beyond, if we go back to language, you know, cookies are annoying. Yeah, we get it, banners pop up all the time. But in linguistics, there's this concept called linguistic determinism. And it means that our language helps to define our world. When we have a word to represent something, it, it has meaning, we can talk about it. And the world's very fast paced and changing right now. And there's so many languages out there where the content isn't available to users. And essentially those, those languages are being strangled because in order to learn new concepts and information, that user has to adopt English, another language. And, some of them are able to bring those concepts over into their language, but without evolving and adapting to new concepts and ideas, language slowly dies. That's why Latin's a dead language. It no longer changes, no longer used. And the internet being predominantly in English is restricting access, clarity of information, creating problematic uh, opportunities for radicalized ideas to, to gain volume and traction. There's a, there's a lot to this and we don't have the conversations about them because our goal for that quarter is just launch this thing. So what, what, what would you say then in terms of, you know, what can we do as, a, as an industry, whether we work in specific companies, um, whether we work for ourselves, 
What can we do to start tackling this issue of disinformation? That is an excellent question. And there are it really interesting things that even Google's doing. They have an initiative where they are teaching journalists how to use search engines and spot disinformation. Make friends with the journalists, perhaps help in that way. Teach everyone you know that Google is a personalized algorithm, that it is going to give you a biased result based on how you interact with content, which means if you have fallen vulnerable to a mal, mis, or disinformation campaign and interacted with that content, similar content is now going to appear higher in your search results because it, the search engine thinks that's what you need, that's what you want. Fundamentally, search engines have a flaw. They're designed to give you an answer based on what it thinks you want. So there isn't a, a baseline without your personal bias placed into it. I suppose, um, like, so there's onus on the individual, isn't there? So when you are consuming content that you're sort of aware of, okay, is this a reputable source? Um, are the things that they're talking about, is it backed up by research yes. and, and things like that? And I suppose when we is are- on create- other websites, is it, uh, can you vet it from other sources? Yes. If you're a publisher, can you talk about this without amplifying it? That suppose, is one of the biggest things. And I suppose what we can do when we're creating content is to be mindful of that. And so when we are sort of writing about a subject or whatever we're writing about, make sure that it is factually correct. You've got sources in there. Um, and because by doing that, you can make sure that the content that you're creating is correct. But then you can also give people who are reading your content that sort of security can't you um and and stuff like that so I suppose there's two sides of this isn't there it's important to to realize too that experts can be manufactured we can make them uh there's a great example of this fairly recently where uh, it was a uh, a prominent newspaper basically accused these these two people in London of being terrorist sympathizers and the the author of this article he was a deep fake. There was no person who actually had that name. We can create fake experts. Uh, you can listen to video reviews because those can be manufactured now using um, Amazon's voice pool. And if you hear like a tinniness to the explosives, the T's and S sound, I believe it is, you can recognize them there, but it, it's getting harder and harder to spot fake. So we work in this field, we work in, getting people to achieve the goal that we have on that page for them. We need to recognize when it's being used on us and go above and beyond yep. in vetting. I think that's sources. why I have, you know, having discussions like this and having topics like this and having a platform to, you know, to wh- whether it's to go on stage or to share specific publications, it's kind of on, on all of us to discuss these topics more. And as marketers, make sure that we're, we're not part of the problem, but we're actually part of the solution. We are the ones that can see this. We're aware we know the back alleys of the internet and there are a lot of people on the highways who aren't aware of these exist. Yep. We need to be the ones that help. Turn yep. off your caps lock. It's hard. It's frustrating sometimes, but you can still have a civil conversation and lead gently with questions that make them um, reevaluate rather than telling them they're wrong in all caps. Like we can be part of a really important and healthy discourse 
because the goal of disinformation is to make an in-group and out-group, to make us fight amongst ourselves. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jamie. That was that was super insightful. I think in terms of since we're a Women in Tech SEO podcast, we wouldn't be doing our job if we didn't learn more about your experience as a as a woman within the industry. Um, and it's brilliant to have a lot of you know women who are very specialized within specific topics to come on and discuss it. But what I'd really love to learn as well, and I'm sure a lot of people would love to learn, is you know what keeps you motivated and inspired uh, to be in SEO. I got into this field with my rabid curiosity and that's what keeps me going. I get to watch uh, how humans are searching for things and interacting with content. And when we have friends, that's a whole bunch of people all clicking their Ruby Hills and Unisons about the same idea at the same time. And it's, it's quite beautiful. It's almost like we have this digital diary of, of the collective unconscious and how we've changed and moved and adapted to new ideas and concepts. And I love that, I found it beautiful. You know what, Jamie? I could just listen to you talk. Like you've got, you've just got such a lovely voice, and you talk sense. And I'm just getting like I need to ask questions. I can't just sit and listen to you talking. <laughs> um, it would be good to sort of like highlight any sort of challenges that you've experienced as a woman in the industry. I mean, it's awesome if you say you haven't. Um, but yeah, if you have any sort of experiences of that. Oh, I could lie to you, but that wouldn't do a service to any of us. Um, I remember when I did my first podcast, it was a big deal. I was very nervous and I had I chatted with Dan Schur, who was Experts in the Wire. And he was like, yeah, you actually broke the record for first aid downloads. And um, prior to doing that, I talked to my CMO at this position and you know, got the go ahead and everything. And so when I saw them in the kitchen, I shared the news and it was very exciting. I had the page pulled up and it was, you know, my headshot on that page. And he was like, oh, well, there's why. And I would be lying to you if I didn't tell you that the idea of my podcast success being based on my headshot didn't hurt. I didn't have to bite my tongue and I didn't have to take a step away. That would be yeah, I'm really, really sorry to hear that. That's definitely not okay at all. And, and I'm sure, which is really unfortunate, but I'm sure a lot of people have, other women have probably experienced that as well, which is not Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't share it to, to ask for video share to say, I see you if you're going through that and you think that you will be uh, discredited as solely being because you are yeah. a woman or your appearance. Guess what? You can be beautiful and still run laps around misogyny. And I yeah. believe in you. 100%. And other, you know, are there are there specific things that you feel really empower you every day, whether it's people or or resources or being around, you know, certain aspects within the industry? What, what, what empowers you every day? Um, I love text because a lot of us are so much more focused on, you know, um, what cool thing have you built? And, and the ideas and the information maybe we can share that there isn't quite nearly um, peacocking that comes with a lot of traditional visual where it's like, look at me, look at me. Instead we're like, don't look at me, but here's my script and it's really cool and I'm super into it. Um, I find encouragement pretty much every day from uh, other amazing women in tech, uh, others who have faced the same challenges and just knowing you're not alone in it and you've got allies. And I think that's why I love the women in tech community so much is because we help each other. It's not, I'm never going to cite my sources. So you all think I'm super smart. It's, hey, how can I help you? Oh, I've got this resource. Oh, I have this. Hey, I'm here to listen to you. You're not an imposter. I believe in you. 
that is that is so important because I think as as an industry like with SEO it's very much self-taught isn't it um so it can feel a bit daunting and I know that I was always afraid to ask questions when I first started but yeah like it's okay to ask and women in tech SEO is a fabulous community and yeah like it's all about supporting isn't it one another and um yeah if you've got an answer to someone's question that's awesome isn't it it feels great and I've got to watch a lot of women who have had an opportunity to help or encourage you amazing things and that is fundamentally what keeps me going in here because when I first started there weren't a lot of women tech speakers uh, tech SEO speakers and those who came up to me or messaged me after and said hey thank you I finally saw myself represented on stage and then getting to see them take stage I don't need to be the smartest. I don't need to be the most charismatic. I just need to inspire the next badass woman who's going to be smarter, who's going to be more charismatic, and that makes it worthwhile. Yes, Jamie. And I, and I know that you know that you, you've definitely done that with me, where I, I saw myself represented when I, when I saw you take the stage and talk about tech SEO. So what, what, what advice would you give women who um, you know, want, want, to, want to progress more within the field and... Um, and feel a little bit, you know, overwhelmed by it, what advice would you give them? It's okay to feel overwhelmed. Let's start with that one. Everyone does. You have allies. Find your allies. If you're not in communities like Women in Tech SEO, please join. We are here. There are mentorship programs like United Search, where we're dedicated to getting more diversity on stage, having more representation, because tech inherits the blind spots of its creators. The more diverse voices we have in there, the more unique minds, the better problems we solve, the better we make it. That is wonderful advice. Wonderful, wonderful advice. So, Jamie, are you ready for a feature? I am ready for a creature feature. Let's a creature, do this. <laughs> a creature feature. Um, so, I have got a quiz for you. Uh, now, there is a tenuous link there. You'll be pleased to know. Um, so I got the tenuous link. So your website is I am not a robot, isn't it? It's a, not a robot. Dr. Not a robot. Yeah. There we go. I knew it was something to do with not a robot, not being a robot. Um, so I have a robot quiz for you. Excellent. I'll get my Roomba. will be my teammate. <laughs> this will be perfect. Is, is that the uh, Hoover um, robot it's it's a smart little electronic robot who learns the shape of my house and keeps all of the floof because i've got three floofs running around at any given time and they keep that in check jolly good jolly good okay so i have a couple of questions and it's super easy because it's just true or false okay uh, um so first question for you a modern uh, get my teeth in a modern washing machine could be considered a robot. Is that true or false? I don't know what definition of robots being used, but I'm going to say true. True. Yes, that is correct. So far, so good. The first robot was reportedly built in 1495. Is that true or false? True. Yes. I hope you're not Googling these answers. I mean, I'd be a really fast Googler if I was, but. The, I mean, I don't doubt you. The word robot came from the Czech word for forced labor. Is that true or false? false? Sorry? False? No, that's true. Really? I learned a yeah. new thing today. 
Oh, it's rather disheartening. Sorry, Roomba, I appreciate you. <laughs> you you are not forced into labor. Uh, robots featured in Greek mythology. True. Well, automatons. So true. Yes, true. Look at you with your Greek robot knowledge. Okay. Last two. Oh no, last one. Sorry. No one has been killed by a robot. Is that true or false? True. False. Someone has really? been killed by it. Yeah. We've got to be scared of those robots. So you did. You, you, I think you only got one. No, you got two wrong. I got two wrong. I'm not a robot. So <laughs> it makes sense. I think that's pretty good going. So uh, well done. You survived my feature. Thank you so very much. Now, I would love to carry on the chat, but unfortunately, we ran out of time. And that is the end of the first Women in Tech SEO. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm so, sorry, and you're welcome. <laughs> so thank you very much for your time, Jamie, and for um, sharing your wonderful knowledge with us. Um if people want to get in touch with you, see what you're doing, seeing the stuff that you're sharing, where can they find you? I am on Twitter, jammer underscore volts, and I am the woman in tech SEO Slack group. Please feel free to reach out. If I don't have an answer, maybe I can put you in touch with someone who does. And I really look forward to the brilliant minds who have been doubting themselves, stepping up and sharing all of the amazing things they know, because I have so much to learn. I don't even know how rankings work. Wonderful. And Areej, would you like to, do you want to do the honours of how to get in touch with the Women in Tech SEO podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy to. So we're on womenintechsteo.com forward slash podcast. Uh, You'll find all the details in there. Uh, This is not an exclusive group at all. Everyone is more than welcome. Um, And if you want to come on the podcast, all you have to do is fill a super simple form and we'll get you scheduled. So please do come. We encourage a lot of first time speakers. We want to hear about you and your story and things that interest you. So definitely do get in touch. Yes, yes. And the only other thing that I would say is um, if you do, if you liked our first episode, then please do subscribe because once you subscribe, you get notifications when new episodes are available. Um, so yes, our time has flown by and I can't believe that's that's it. I suppose the only thing left to say, ladies, is goodbye. Thank you so very much. I appreciate you both. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Until next time. Thank you.